Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, a very good morning to you all, wherever you are, however you're listening to this, whether you're doing it on the podcast or you're actually listening to it live. This is your humble immigrant host, Chris Dunham, coming to you again from my office in Dallas, Texas, and Picking up on the heels of a fairly spirited exchange the last time I was with you, talking about common sense and all of the elements therein. There's a slight tickle in my throat. Don't worry, it has nothing to do with any of the things that would warrant me to maintain a six-foot distance from you, but hopefully via the airwaves, I'm non-contagious But I think I drank some broth, as cold as it was, and it kind of triggered something that hopefully I can work through because I do want to get the recordings done and uh, get ready for the week ahead. Again, the name is Chris Dunham. Contact me at chrisdunham.com where you'll see some exciting new developments in what we call our Success Academy. But I've never been one about shameless plugs. I want to engage with you. And I'm always grateful to my dear friend Todd Huff for his desire to give me the privilege of being behind his microphone, that which he works hard to preserve an audience and an image. And I hope by way of what I have done over the years that he has encouraged me to do it and the times he has given me to fill in for him that I bring a different perspective but some sort of justice to the whole narrative of conservative, not bitter. When he first began this journey many moons ago, I was wondering, why would we need something that was conservative, not bitter? And then it goes back to the days of what conservatism is. When you look at being a Reagan conservative, which is what I call myself, someone who came to this country when the great Ronald Reagan was president, And the way in which he communicated hope to the masses, the way in which he galvanized a nation, the way in which he point blank stood in front of the premier of a nation for which we had that Cold War for so many years and said, Mr. Secretary, tear down this wall. I've since had the privilege of being in a greater part of Eastern Europe. I have done lectures in Hungary. I've done lectures in Romania been in Czechoslovakia, I've been in Albania, and the list keeps growing. From Poland and Auschwitz, I got to see the remnants of the, the terror of Nazi Germany, and then when you get to the other end and get to the, the very remnants of Eastern Europe, you begin to see the reach that was perpetrated by the people that were captured or captivated by thoughts that were erroneous and promises that were false. All that to say that today I want to tackle an 
important issue that is close to my heart, a beneficiary of which I am, i.e. immigration. Now, when the very word immigration is mentioned as part of the lexicon of the conservative movement, immediately the other side jumps to this diabolical uh, belief that uh, we are villainous, we are barbaric, we are people without emotions, we have no heart, and as a result, we want to build big barbed wires and walls to keep people out. But this entire nation was founded on an immigrant dream. America, if you go back a couple of generations, almost everybody can trace their ancestry or their roots to someone else who came in on a boat. In fact, Emma Lazarus's new Colossus that talked about the old Colossus of Rhodes that stood astride in Greek myth, Uh, is what was inscribed on the Statue of Liberty. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cried she with silent lips, and me, your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores, and these your homeless tempest ostomy. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And the first part of that is actually talks about the Colossus of Rhodes, and then it talks about this statue, this gift from France that now dons the harbor in New York. So this was the welcoming sight of immigrants who escaped the potato famine of Ireland, from immigrants who escaped from other kinds of persecution, from people who were displaced of the Jewish uh, diaspora from across the globe post-World War II. America has been a welcoming nation, probably taken in more people, and probably today can be the only country in the world that at least boasts of one person from every other principality or municipality that is recognized by the United Nations. So the biggest bogus argument that the left has ever thrown out is that the right is heartless and we do not have a desire to be welcoming and we are some kind of fascist people. And the words like racist and prejudiced and bigoted and supremacist are just thrown around with reckless abandon. I have been to Auschwitz and I have seen what the roundup of a people did as they decimated an entire populace exterminating a people because of their origin and their ethnicity at the rate of 12,000 a day. So the last thing I will ever accept is a lecture from somebody who has not walked a mile in my shoes, has dreamt or dreamed to be in this great and glorious land, who has stood in line in a visa office waiting for your number and name to be called, who with great trepidation and trembling crossed those lines in New York and was processed with a glimpse of freedom. And because I did it legally and because I did it accurately and because I followed it morally, I've never had to look over my shoulder. And as a result of that, I still try my best to give back. Recently, I happened to be in a federal uh, penitentiary doing some volunteer work And there were some people there who were complaining about the prison systems in the United States. And I pointed out something very succinctly that brought tears to a few of the inmates. I said, the very room we're standing in is air conditioned. The very restroom I used before I came in here, I guarantee you 70% of my immediate family would consider this a luxury. Gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions, said Hans Selye, the great stress specialist, anger the most destructive. 
So when we look at this also important topic of immigration that has actually funded uh, <clears throat> the aspirations of people and fueled the dreams of people as they move from one part of the world to another, clutching everything in their belongings. And if you ever have a chance to wonder what America is all about, do visit Ellis Island and go look at the museum and see what people did when they actually stuffed their stuffed their suitcases full of newspapers because they wanted to be on the boat, but they wanted the weight of the suitcase to show that they were actually taking something with them so there would not be any suspicion, and there was nothing in those suitcases but newspaper. I am a very, very big fan of legal immigration. Now, I live in the border state of Texas, and as a result, we do face the the rat and the onslaught of the media as they begin to tell us about the cages and the perpetration and the coyotes and the illegal cartel transportation and the trafficking and the drugs, and we hear it all. I hear it from both sides ad nauseum. But I want to talk about this in a common sense way, in a conservative, not bitter way, and bring both heart and head to a conversation and give it legitimacy. Are you irked and emotively accelerated when you hear the word legal and illegal immigration because family that are still stuck in the pipeline? My own father has a multiple entry visa to the United States, and uh, many people have said, hey, you know, why don't you just bring him here and keep him here, and then you can decide what you want to do. He's 88 years old, but my father has said, son, we will never do anything that will bring uh, a glimpse of doubt. I did not raise you that way. He said, I'll come and I'll stay for five and a half months, but then let me come back to India for a period of time, and then I'll go again. And he's made multiple trips. I don't think he's overstayed one trip one time for any reason, even during the height of COVID. Now, I'm not bragging just because I have the privilege to be able to do it. Others may not have had that luxury and may have had to resort it to some kind of legal refuge. But there is always a right way to do it, and history has always cited. Now, let's go to the plight of what they show. Why do not the media show the legal immigrants like me who have come the right way and stood in line and worked minimum wage jobs and managed to survive. Why? Because I'm conservative. Why? Because I'm religious. Why? Because I'm theological. Why? Because I'm evangelical. Why? Because I believe in a moral right and a moral wrong. Why? Because I believe in a good and a bad. Just because my definitions are not abstract and are absolute, just because my moral law comes from a moral lawgiver, Am I now not allowed to participate in the conversation, even though I'm an immigrant, a first-generation immigrant who came here with $20 given to me in the New Delhi airport? I spent 11 in Frankfurt, and I arrived in New York with 9 bucks to my name. My wife, who had come to India, got married to me in India. When she came back, found out she was laid off, and she was immediately given a severance check. And then ultimately, we were given some unemployment insurance benefits of about $250 a week. So I began at the very bottom, but my bride always said, when we get to the end of our financial rope, we're going to tie a knot and hang on. That is what America is, from the very dreams of the early days, from the people like Andrew Carnegie, who came here broke from their countries and made multi-million dollar fortunes and liberated the mind and the financial ability of many others. This land has been an amazing land. It has been a land of promise. Many people from my own nation have come here as students have stayed back, have gotten employment and risen to the very heights of technology and have received accolades from the world over. So I will not for a minute take a backseat to anybody talking about something that America did in her 250 plus year history 
that upsets somebody and as a result they're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and label me a bigot or prejudiced in some way just because I don't see eye to eye with them. When we come back after the break, I'm going to talk about the emotion, the family, the pain and the privilege and more importantly, the politics. Stay with us. More after this on Conservative Not Bitter. Welcome back to the Todd Huff Show, home of conservative, not bitter. This is Chris Dunham again, filling in for my dear friend Todd Huff. Today we were talking in the earlier segment about immigration, and I gave a little bit about my own journey and how I kind of sometimes get flustered and maybe even angered when I see how I'm painted with a broad brush of ignorance especially when it comes to this thing called immigration. One of the things that I get a lot is from people whose family is caught in the crosshairs of this debate. Depending on who's in power with the White House's change or the politics that go through the cyclical nature of eight or four years, depending on how well they perform, we see a different logic that goes along with the legality. Now, I'm a constitutionalist, I'm a fundamentalist, I'm a purist, I believe in what the Founding Fathers did and stood for, and I don't try to lump everything, and more importantly, as a trained apologist and evangelist, the one thing I know is you can never, ever, ever, ever judge a system just by its abuse. But that seems to be where we are today. We take the part of our world that we disagree with or that we are disenchanted with and want to append the 98% of the world that works so that we can conform to the whining and the moaning of a few. Now, that doesn't mean everybody who's caught up in this, whose family is torn apart, is the same. Yesterday, I was watching a documentary, I think that was on public television, that talked about tracing the genealogy and the roots of people going back to their ancestors and their grand ancestors and pointing to a hut that was thatched on the outside and had moss surrounding it for pop, for some kind of comfort. And uh, I think the date they gave was circa 1840, which means it would have been during the height of the potato famine in Ireland. And they were pointing out that this lady's ancestors probably lived in that home. And in the part of the deliberation, they also talked about how some of the ancestors had made it across the United States on a boat, traced back their record keeping to their uh, homes in Ireland and also to the record keeping when they came over to the new country. And in that process found out that one of the children that they had could not be brought over for economic reasons. And as a result, the parents who had come to the United States had left one of the children behind in the other country, and they were separated for 30 years. And during that 30 years, another child was born to them in the U.S., and that child died. So imagine growing up in one country, having been left behind by some re- with relatives because you didn't have the financial ability to take the people with you, but you wanted to wait it out, and you waited 30 years. Now, as much grief as that 30 years must have cost, as much consternation as that separation would have yielded, 
Um, there is gratitude in the story because the union that eventually took place only had two years before the elderly parents passed away or some such. I may have the sketchy nature of the story in bits and pieces, but the reality of this is this. Whenever you choose to migrate, whenever you choose to move, whenever you choose to get away from one part of the world to another part of the world, whether the reason is economic, whether the reason is religious, whether the reason is social, whether the reason is political, whatever the reason is, there is going to be consternation and there is going to be hardship. There is going to be some amount of price that someone pays. In fact, one of the sermons I do is when there is a person to prepare and a passion to pursue, there is always a price to pay. We do not live in a world that has a zero-sum game and wish, wishes were horses uh, seems to be the mantra of people saying, yeah, we can just make it all right. Let's take large amounts of people who are just moving and move them from one part of the world to the other. In fact, this is the first time in human history where the word refugee has now been completely eradicated and you are not a refugee anymore if you're escaping something, barely getting across the border and hoping that the Red Cross or whoever has pitched their tent on the other side because of international aid will care for you. Now you come across the border and you have demands. I remember being in one country in Europe when the great European migration was taking place as people were coming on boats ashore in Greece and we saw those ghastly pictures of dead babies on the shore. But very quickly they would get to Romania and places like that and they would say, hey, we just want to go straight through. What do you mean? You don't want to stay here? No, you guys are too poor for us. We want to go through you. We want to get to Germany. We want to get to Germany. What are you going to do when you get to Germany? And this is true answers given by them. And nobody pays attention to this because we think we're doing a greater good just because we get to look at the pictures. They said, no, the reason I want to do is I want to get to Germany where all my needs will be met. What do you plan to do when you get to Germany? Oh, nothing. I'm just going to wait my four or five years till I can apply for the rest of my family. So let me get this straight. You escape abject hardship. Granted, I would want to get out of most of the places that these people want to get out of. Not only do you get out of that, you risk life and limb. But then somewhere along the line, your primary motivation changes. And your motivation so changes because the people taking care of you are now saying, there is nothing that is expected of you. We'll transplant you. We'll, we'll put you wherever it is. So if you're a migrant from Somalia, we'll take you to Minneapolis. And now what we have is large communities of these people forming in another nation where when you go to these places, you wonder why they left what they left if what they have created when they have arrived where they have arrived is exactly similar to what they left. Now, I live in suburban uh, United States, in the suburbs of Dallas, and when we moved to the suburb, we were probably the only people who looked like us where we are. Today, there are probably three Indian stores within walking distance of my house and many Indian restaurants. I don't fault the need for culture. I don't fault the need for an expansion in a culture to give us that multicultural look. America has, is, and always will be a melting pot. It is always the collective imagination of the rest of the world that made her the envy of the world. It is the contribution of these immigrants like Hargobind Korana, who came from India and won the Nobel Prize for Genetic Research or the works of C.V. Raman. I'm proud of my Indian heritage. 
But most of the people who contributed and came here were integrants and not just irritants. And therein lies a key word. I don't mind people migrating. I don't mind people immigrating. But when you immigrate, make sure that the primary role of your immigration is integration. Then I will buy into the emotion of your separation. But if your only goal is to migrate and not integrate, but start irritating, then what you're doing is you're causing confusion for everybody all around because the people who are already here, legal, whether they're caught up in the mess or whatever it is, now, I find some of these numbers hard to believe, but if you're telling me that there are roughly 11, 12, 15, some say 20 million people that are undocumented and hiding in the shadows, many of them will not come out of the shadows because the primary reason they are here is to make a little bit of money and send it wherever they are. And the cash transfers that go there allow them to go back and forth if they have our proximity to a border or whatever their reasons might be. I know people in India migrate from the village and go to the city and as a result, they have no real position in the city, but they're just doing it to send some money back to the village. That's an economic hardship. So trying to make these people legal is not going to assuage the problem because the moment you make them legal, now what happens is the tax issue becomes an issue. Your contributions become an issue. 50% of your income goes away to the government. And these people are saying, wait a minute, I may be making less than others and I may be hiding in the shadows, but as a result, there is no economic benefit to me becoming legal. And if then I become legal and it takes a period of time to bring everybody in, then that's a different process. I know we have people waiting for 13 and 14 years to get their applications approved because we want to do it the right way. Now, the reason I bring this issue up is it's an issue that is never talked about. We just say, hey, we need to bring them here. We need to give them the opportunity. We need to. But the same country that is telling me that if there is more than $10,000 in your bank account as part of a simple transaction or a legitimate transaction or whatever that number is, and I'm quite sketchy on the details, but they're saying we have enough people who can track your bank account are telling me that they cannot find 12, 12 million people in this country. The same people who are telling me that if you have any kind of monetary transaction because of all the acts we have passed and all the insights that people have and all the intrusion of Big Brother and all the technological advances of spying and all of the things that go on with Google searches, you're trying to tell me that there are actually X number of people in this country that you can't track? Well, if you're trying to sell it, that's fine. And if people believe it, that's fine unto themselves. But the reality is actually quite different. When we come back, we'll explore this a little more. Stay with us on the home of conservative, not bitter. This is Krish Dunham. Be right back with you. All right. Welcome back. Uh, after the break, uh, to the home of conservative, not bitter. This is Krish Dunham filling in for my dear friend Todd Huff. Hope you're still tracking with us as we are exploring the immigration process, the need for reform, and the buzzwords we hear. We always hear about the negative, the nasty, but we do not hear about the good. Very rarely has it been that a media person has beaten down my door after having lived 30 years in one place as a very vocal uh, component. I've been in the public eye, but nobody has ever come to me and said, hey, you're a first-generation immigrant. You came here with almost nothing. It's not like you're a multimillionaire now, but you seem to have achieved the American dream. What are parts of this country that existed that, that gave you that desire that the dream was still alive and well? 
What are parts of the history of this country that uh, you saw that visibly upset you that you set about finding out the reason why they existed and whether they would impact you at all? How did it work when you first heard Dr. Martin Luther King's speech of I have a dream and uh, listen to the words that my four children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And then went on to hear the words of his speech where he says in the gracious state of Alabama where the governor's lips drip with nullification and interposition. I have a dream that one day my children, you know, when you read these, what, what did it, nobody has ever asked me this question. It's almost as if every time I switch on the airwaves, I hear them asking the question of someone who is not affected by this. They ask the question of everybody who is a media pundit. And, you know, Peter Kraft put it this way, you know, we are living in a kinds of what is called modern hypocrisy. And this modern hypocrisy just simply means the price vice is paying to virtue. And simplifying that, it simply means that vice is bad, virtue is good. So what we're parading ourselves around by saying is, my bad is not as bad as your bad, so my bad must be good. And as a result, now a little looting does no one any harm because ultimately, you know, as they said in one of those popular television shows, it's just a write-off. But the, the reality is quite different. When you break a law, you break a law. When you break a law, you break a federal law. When you say that immigration is a law, it is a federal law. When you start just messing around and trying to convince yourself that something is changing because you desire it to change, then you're convincing yourself that, you know, these laws don't apply to you. Why did Daniel Webster put it that way when he said, if we and our posterity reject religious instruction and authority, violate the principles of eternal ethics, trifle on moral injunction, and recklessly destroy the political constitution that upholds us, no man can say how sudden the catastrophe that will overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Uh, Why I know that by rote and why an immigrant would read the Founding Fathers' speeches is probably a a topic for another day. But the reality is this. We have violated the principles of eternal ethics. We have literally relegated what the political constitution is as a moving document that is based on our whim and our want. I live in the border state and now there's news that these people, uh, they're not family members. So don't give me that story. They were apparently were illegal. They were people who crossed the border illegally. They were processed, put on buses, put on a plane and sent to different parts of the country when apparently the news report said these are people who should have been deported. Now I can see what you're saying. He says, well, they just came here for a, for a, for a better life. Well, if they came here for a better life, shouldn't we at least have them where we know what that better life is they're looking for and have some categories of better life? Or do you decide uphand that anybody who crosses the border has the same need for a better life? Is there no check into their background at all? If that was the case as a legal immigrant, why did you check me? Why did you process me? Why did you ask me for a medical clearance certificate? Why did you ask me for a police clearance certificate? You say, oh, that time is different. No, time is not different. A law is a law. Just because it's convenient and it's expedient, you change it. When I first became a a resident alien is what we called ourselves back then, and they gave you a green card and I had a work permit, I was not allowed to vote, but I was taxed. So this is a very interesting thing. Didn't this country fight an entire uh, liberation on taxation without representation? I was taxed, but I was not allowed to vote. And I understood it because you have to be a citizen of this country to vote. And there was a process in place. If you came here and took that process, five years after you were declared a resident alien, which means you had your legitimate papers, you now had the right to vote. I didn't know that in according to the visa status I had that I was eligible for, after three years, but I waited five years. 
And today they're saying in one of the states, you don't even need to be a person who belongs in this country legally to vote in a local election. Is that just expedience? I mean, if the person is not a person who even wants to be registered in this country, if that person doesn't even want to be someone who pays any taxes into this country, but they want a right to say who gets elected, as a result of that, who does it benefit? The person who's getting elected then obviously doesn't have to have any standards themselves because what it is, you don't even stand for the basic law. And I understand nine different ways from Sunday how people will come to me with the economic argument. Well, don't talk to me about the economic argument. I'm at the bottom end of the economic uh, pillar here, but I still uh, give money. I still go volunteer in prisons and I still spend half my year in missions overseas. So, I mean, again, we're not taking lip from people who don't who, who don't practice what they preach, but people who are conveniently hypocritical by saying, hey, you know what? This is just lip service. This is the lip service we are paying. This is the lip service vice pays to virtue. You know, I know you're all virtuous, but we're going to ask you to start understanding some of the vice. And in so understanding some of this vice, you're going to eventually come to the conclusion that your bad is not as bad as someone else's bad. So your bad must be good. That's when you see a person running out of a tele, out of a store with a big television screen on their shoulder and they're doing it in the names of looting because of some perpetration or some kind of ghastly thing that lit up an entire city. You may have a legitimate beef about what happened in your city, but as a result of it, the optics to me as a person who actually stood in line to get here are quite astounding and confounding when I say, listen, if really you want to run away with something, do you think you need to run away with a 75-inch TV, which means you need three people able to run away with or you need to now loot a shopping cart to take it with you would not a 30 inch tv work if the only goal was having a tv because you didn't have a tv why is the need for you to have a 75 inch tv when my own one in my house that i'm watching this stupid debacle unfold is a 50 inch tv now granted when my dad comes and sees my 50 inch tv or my 55 inch tv he says why do you need something so big and I'm saying so I can watch on TV the people looting 75-inch TVs in the name of all that is good and decent. You see where this does stops making sense and it starts going back, that thing where the fall of common sense and the rise of ignorance is taking place in a, in a depicted pictorial way. And then the person is basically trying to dance around the news saying, well, as a result of these, these images may be disturbing, but we know the deep history and the dark roots from where all this comes. Folks, an eye for an eye will turn the whole world blind. At some point, we need to get back to the drawing table and ask ourselves, does this work? More after the break. Well, at the end of the last segment, you did see me get a little excited because, again, you know, as much as I tried to talk about the concept of immigration, I died, I took a dissection and went off into looting. Well, let's get back to immigration and look at two other components, which is the politics and the privilege. You know, it is quite fascinating to see how this politics and privilege or the politics of privilege pay a huge part in this whole argument. I remember I was doing a seminar, I'm a speaker, I travel quite a bit and speak in various forums around the world. And I was speaking in one of the border states of the United States and a lady asked me a question on immigration. She says, so what is your take on immigration? I said, I'm all for it being legal and I'm all for it having some caveats for people who come through the refugee pipeline. I'm all for it having some, co some kind of uh, 
information that would take place uh, in a right and righteous way. And she looked at me and she says, but what about the people who are stuck in the pipeline? I said, if you're asking me to emotionally now coalesce or acquiesce towards changing the law so that my personal family would benefit, I guess I can understand your point of view, but I cannot say that you need to do that for my family. I personally never let my family, even though we have a very small extended family who even wanted to take advantage of my legal status. And even those that did want to take advantage of it found a, found an argument with me when I said we will do it legally. One of them even suggested, we'll just come and stay there and then you can file for us. I said, no, even the filing that you have to do for someone legally, you have to give all your financial affidavits and you have to promise that when you do uh that when they come here, you will be responsible. And that's why they don't allow you to bring large amounts of money and all of that like they're allowing people to do nowadays. So there are there is a pattern and there is a method to this madness. And I go through it in a roundabout way with different people. But when I was asked that question, it did dawn on me. What she was saying to or question behind the question, which is number one thing we need to do, whenever you're asked a question of any magnitude, always question the assumption of the questioner. So I said, if you're asking me emotionally to be vested in it, it may be because you have someone caught up in the system that you so desperately either want to be united or want to have be the beneficiary of just living on this side. And she says, you're accurate to that point. Now, I'll flip the argument for you. I happened to be in India when the previous administration came into power and immediately they talked about a wall and suddenly the entire world was believing the fact that, you know, here we have a man in the White House who's racist and all of the words that were given white supremacist and everything else. And I can go down that a different way and maybe Todd has spoken about it too. But I was in India when they were making this announcement and I said, why do you care? Why do you care that America has an immigration policy? Or why do you care that America is building a wall? What bother is it of you in India or any other part of the world that America has a wall? We have walls in other parts of the world and they seem to have worked. We have profiling in other parts of the world and it seems to have worked. Why does it bother you? And then it very quickly becomes important. Well, the privilege here is mine because I've got a brother-in-law who has a job lined up. And if these H-1 visas are denied suddenly because you have to give them on-par treatment with thing and all of that, suddenly my brother-in-law is caught in the crosshair. So you want the entire immigration policy of the United States to change because your brother-in-law is caught up into it. Why don't you just face facts? No, I still think they are racist. I said, how many people have you let in from Pakistan since 1947? And suddenly there's silence. You see, sovereignty is not a sin. Borders are not always bigoted. Principles are not always prejudiced. There is pragmatism that goes into sane people running a world. When Tip O'Neill was the speaker and Ronald Reagan was the president and they disagreed with each other vehemently, they still had civility and decorum to meet. Today, our vitriol is so much that we look past our common sense and we're almost at the point of frothing and foaming at the mouth that nobody ever wants to take two steps back, even with any kind of journalistic integrity, if they had a shred of integrity, and say, you know what, I'm going to question the assumption of the questioner. I'm not just going to run with it because it's a talking point or because it gets me ratings or because it galvanizes people on one side of an argument versus the other side. Why can't a nation have laws? Why can't a nation have some kind of a semblance of decorum? 
When you talk to the legal immigrants of which I am one, they will side with me. But nobody ever asks the legal immigrant what he thinks about immigration. They'll always find the person. Folks, it's just like anything else about haves and have-nots in this world. You cannot constantly go through life or grow through life wanting what someone else has because you feel you deserve it. Now, if someone took something away from you, you may have a legitimate gripe about it, but you cannot ask. See, there's an old saying in the motivational speaking world. Just because you held your breath, don't expect the universe to suffocate. Yeah, there are 330 million people in America. We're no better or worse than anybody else, but there are 8.2 billion people on planet Earth, and there's just one you. God in his infinite wisdom made only one you. We were never designed to go with the flow. We were never designed to go where someone else takes you when they row your boat, because you'll arrive where you don't want to be. Individuality and individual thinking is part of created order. We were all made different. But somewhere we wrap this in tradition, we wrap this in culture, and that's also okay. You can have a legitimate loyalty to your culture and have legitimate pride in your heritage and legitimate belief in who you are as a people and legitimate love and patriotism for who you are. But you cannot expect someone else to change just because you believe that they wronged someone somewhere, somewhere else. So today when we see members of Congress who come from another country and settle in this country and trash this country, you ask yourself, why did you ever leave what you left to decide to come to someplace else and change it in a way so that it would begin to look like what you left? It makes no sense to me. That doesn't mean I don't visit India. We still have family there. Before COVID hit, I used to go five times a year. We have supported causes there. We have extended businesses there. We Our loved ones are still there. We talk to them every day. I love my culture. I love my roots. I love the loyalty it taught me. I love the respect it gave me. I love the fight it instilled in me to get ahead. The intellect that it bred in me to say that, you know, it's a tough world out there. I love how it competed and how it completed with Mr. Ziegler saying, life is tough, but if you're tough on yourself, life will become infinitely easier on you. And then I began to realize a lot of what America is, that ideal of freedom is just an ideal. But in order for that ideal to come, you have to go back to what those genius of men drafted as this political document, the Constitution. It had never been done before in human history where a bunch of people who were uh, occupied by someone else decided to create for themselves a freedom and charter that would change the world. We'll end this when we come back after this break. This is Chris Dunham. More after the break. Uh, let's uh, bring this excursion to an end. Uh, thank you, my dear friend Todd, for allowing me to sit behind your microphone and again fill in as a guest host for Conservative Not Bitter. We dealt with common sense and today we talked ad nauseum about immigration. I hope it was enlightening to people to understand that there are legal immigrants in this country who think different, who still believe in the conservative point of view but who wish that we were asked the question about emotion, about family, about pain, about privilege, and about politics, and how we need to get past this debate by looking at the truth and getting past the lies, looking at the need so that we can get to hope, and not acquiescing to want just because it is expedient at this time. 
you cannot go and point to cages at one time and not point to them at another time. A cage is a cage is a cage. And regardless of who is in power, always realize this. No matter who is in power, unless they think about the country first, in some way they are not actually living up to the oath they themselves took on that holy document. When they placed their hand on top of the Holy Bible and said that they would, pres- they would, pro- they would protect and defend, they, that's not something you take lightly, especially when you do it in front of an entire world, no matter which office you run for. Ultimately, it should not be about trying to change it for what you think it should be, but trying to defend it for what it gave you to allow you from wherever you came to rise to very incredible heights. I'll always be grateful to this country, and I'll always love the fact that it gave me the privilege and opportunity. I'm a proud legal immigrant. I think we do need reform, but I think we need reform that is legal and moral. Until next time, good luck and God bless.